Welcome to our new edition of our Fossil Free 2016 podcast series. Today we welcome as an interview guest Sebastien Godinot. He is economist in the WWF European Policy Office here in Brussels. Um, he's working mainly on the alignment of investment portfolios to the um, international negotiated uh, climate agreements. So that means aligning investment portfolios to the 1.5 or 2 degrees Celsius um, goal. And we would like to um, talk to him today a little bit about um, <coughs> what private finance um, has to do um, to align to these goals and uh, what are the EU legislative hooks that can foster um, this development. Um, as a background, um, the World Energy Investment Outlook um, that was uh, published a while ago said that until 2035, um, around 50 uh, trillion US dollar in uh, investments are necessary in order to reach the two degree goal. Um, that might even be more if you're aiming at uh, 1.5 degrees. So the potential for a huge uh, private finance effort um, for um, greening the economy is there. And yet several investors are still um, reluctant on investing. And we would like um, to talk about that. Um, Sebastian, what would you say, what are the main obstacles for private finance um, people to invest in green alternatives and not anymore in, uh, for example, fossil fuels or other mm. conventional? Um, there's a number of different obstacles from different natures. So it's not an, it's not an easy question to start with. Yeah. Uh, you have definitely... Um, uh, um, capacity issues in investors. Some are not aware enough of environmental social issues. They tend to discard them. There's a problem of short-termism of the capital markets and, and of the financial institutions in general. They tend to focus on the next two, three years at best, not taking into account the long-term issues. Um, and that relates to a very clear policy problem The, the framework, the public framework with the regulations and policies is not adequate because it does not take into account the long-term issues enough. And sometimes the policy framework itself is pushing investors to, um, to focus on the short-term uh, results, which is really counterproductive for what we, think, what we want. So that means there are different elements that are needed to fix uh, the problems, one of them being we need to change uh, the, the public framework for investors. So that means uh, that there is actually um, there are laws or regulation that, uh, just to understand it correctly, that force private investors to look only at the short-term um, investors and at, at maximizing the profits for their shareholders rather than looking for long-term sustainable investment. Is that correct? Um, yes, two, two examples. There's one... Um a general principle of regulation requiring investors and I mean companies also to publish quarterly results yeah and which is already four times more than annual results this is much too short if you focus on long-term issues for the next five to ten years or even more it doesn't make sense to have data every three months if you focus on a 10-year in investment so that's counterproductive with what is called patient capital And um, another example, uh, I mean, another issue is um, that in many uh, regulations, 
the environmental, social and governance issues, ESG in the investment jargon, mm. are simply not um, integrated at all in the regulation. So investors are not required to take them into account when they do, for example, the risk assessment analysis for the portfolio. So that should be integrated in each relevant regulation so that they have a duty of care. They are required to take this into account. For the moment, most of them can just simply discard them because they say, I'm not uh, uh, required to do this, full point. But um, that's an interesting point. Um, and, many, and it's true that they are not um, required. But many investors I've heard, they also said they are not even able to do it because there are not enough data or they are not comparable, the data that is there. So is there also a problem of data and disclosure of company uh, information that <coughs> maybe is an obstacle even for investors to know what would be um, a good investment? I think there are three different issues there. Um, the first one is really on, on the regulations not requiring investors to take into account environmental social governance issues. That's the pro first problem. A second issue is what is called fiduciary duties. Mm. The, the fact that the investors have to manage the money for um, the best interest of the, benef the final beneficiaries pensioners, for example. Um, and um, many investors say, are these fiduciary duties uh, forbid ads to take into account environmental and social uh, governance issues? But this is now a, a discussion. This is a, there's a now a, a very strong debate on this, whether this is the case or not. So again, there, there is a um, legal clarification that is required to, to make clear once and for all for investors that they, there's fiduciary duties do uh, I mean, it shall include an environmental, social and governance issues. And there's a third issue that you rightly mentioned, which is the, um, the access to proper quality, robust data. Um, that is a real issue, but it doesn't mean, I mean, the fact that you don't have perfect data doesn't mean investors cannot do anything. Mm. In fact, uh, investors' communities are already largely split on this. You already have in some investors taking these environmental social issues for into account for decades, while others are still saying today, oh, this is completely impossible because yeah. there is no standardized, etc., etc. So there are different methodologies, there are different data obstacles, but uh, investors can start somewhere. There is already a lot available. So, uh, you know, the, the best is the enemy of the good. Yeah. So you have <laughs> to start somewhere. Of course, on some areas for some specific sectors, The data are not good enough, but there's already a lot available to really start working hard on, on the issues. We cannot uh, wait for more. We cannot so, postpone this because there is urgency. So at some point, there, it might also be an excuse by some investors yes, that they exactly. just say, okay, there Definitely. is no data. And, okay. Um, in the last week, the, the um, Committee on Economics of the European Parliament um, accepted several amendments tabled by the Greens um, and, uh, for example, urged the Commission to play a more proactive role um, in the what they call the SRI market, which stands for Sustainable and Responsible Investment. Um, so they asked the Commission to take new steps and next steps on this topic of green finance. Um, what would you say, like the one, the examples you said, are those the most important steps also to take on the European level? And is, and is the Commission even able to do it or do they depend on, on the member states? No, the Commission has lots of, um, of potential there. Um, so it can definitely um, take action. And actually, in our view, it should take action because this is an issue that is 
much more relevant to be solved at European level instead of waiting for national action in 28 member states. Mm. Um, and um, what, what, what is needed in our view, and it's very good that the, the Parliament is increasingly putting pressure on the Commission for this, is we first need a game plan. There is currently nothing that looks like a European sustainable finance strategy. There's no plan, there's mm. no game plan. So that should come first. And the good news is that the Commission announced uh, last month the creation of an expert group that is precisely tasked to set up a European sustainable finance strategy uh, by the end of, the, of next year, mm -hmm. at the latest. So that's really a good starting point to make sure we have the game plan. And um, um, we don't know what will be there yet, but in our view, there are different key elements that should be taken into account, and it should sequence the work. It should start with... Um, elements where the Commission can act pretty quickly in the next six months. For example, we think the Commission can clarify fiduciary duties obligations mm -hmm. for investors without the need to open a, a three-year legislative process. But for other issues, it will be needed to review the, um, the regulations. So that takes more time in the EU process with the co-decision um, makers, the Parliament and the Council. But that will also be needed. So we need to sequence the work so that um, as soon as possible, we have uh, something more relevant at European level. Mm -hmm. And the Commission should also take into account what is happening at the global level. That's also quite important. Um, there is really important and interesting work happening at the G20 level yes. mm -hmm. with a Green Finance Study Group, part of the G20, that published uh, uh, recommendations in August this year. And we will have to see how the next G20 presidency, Germany, will take this forward. So what is true is that there is more to come from the G20 on these issues, on, on green finance. And there is also a financial stability board uh, task force, again at the global level, working on climate-related financial disclosure. So that sounds a bit technical, but this is really important to make recommendations on what kind of data should be disclosed by both companies and investors on climate issues to be able to assess properly financial risks and opportunities. Because currently, this is very uneven, very opaque, very hard to get the proper data, as we discussed before. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that, that, that's interesting because really it seems that at several levels there is going on quite a bit on, on national level and then on the global level that you mentioned, but the Commission isn't really um, doing so much here of the feeling so far. Um, What would you say are the main, re or do you know what the main reasons are? Is it just that the priorities lay somewhere else, that they, you know, they don't want to mingle into this? Or is it really um, a political issue that they, um, for some reason, don't want to push this important topic when it comes to climate um, and finance? Again, there are different reasons. Uh, one that has been already an issue for us on other sectors, like on... on, on um, Biodiversity the directives is that the commission, this commission, is pushing an agenda called better regulation, where they are yeah. uh, slowing down a lot the pace of putting forward new regulations and um, reviewing existing regulations with sometimes the risk that they can be weakened. Um, so um, clearly that commission is not willing to put forward more regulations, including on sustainable finance. Mm. Um, so that's a concern for us because there are clearly some needs to do so. Yeah, well, maybe yeah. not new regulations, but at least amending the existing regulations is already a big piece, I mean, a big task, a big piece of work. Um, there, there are other issues. The, the Commission was reluctant 
Um, this is a, still a relatively a new issue at the global level, sustainable finance. So some parts of the Commission were telling us, oh, we should not be too much at the forefront because uh, it's not necessarily a good approach, while others in the Commission are saying, oh, maybe we should be the standard makers because mm. that could provide us a benefit globally. And of course, we, we, um, we urge the Commission to move forward quickly and to be the standard maker instead of lagging behind others. I'll just give you one concrete example. Um, China has recently uh, woken up very quickly on green bonds, mm -hmm. and the growing issue on green bonds is to set up green bond standards to precisely define what is green and not really green and not green at all, because that's a big issue to avoid greenwash. And um, given that China is now moving, up, moving forward quickly, it seems the Commission is also waking up and saying, oh, maybe if we don't push our European standards first, we will have to follow Chinese standards globally because no, okay. there won't, they won't be enough space for many different standards. I mean, it's still a discussion. Nobody knows what will really happen. But it seems the Commission is, is waking up on this, and that's much welcome because it was clearly lagging behind in the last years. Hmm. For, for our listeners, just uh, could you give a very brief explanation of a green bond, what that is? Uh, <coughs> a green bond is using the same uh, features of a normal bond, So it's, it's a security issued by a company or mm. um, a bank. It is sold to investors, and the money that is raised like this from the investors is spent on, on specific projects. And the green bonds, in the green bond, for a green bond, the, the bond issuer, the one that creates the bond, is committing to spend the money on relatively clear, specific and clear projects. So what you call the use of proceeds, where you spend the money, is already pre-allocated, it's earmarked for green projects. Um, so the, the principle is very interesting. The big issue for us is that um, there needs to be um, in this, uh, I mean, standards, sector-specific standards, to define what is truly green to avoid the greenwash. And that's really critical for us. Um, coming back to, to the European several-level system, um, in April of this year, there was an informal meeting of the finance and economic ministers, um, and they, I mean, they, it was informal, so there was no actual decision, um, but in the press conference after, they did say that they expect the commission to do a little bit more on the green finance topic than they did so far. So. Uh, there seems to be at least several states, maybe not all of them, who are um, pushing this forward. Um, could you maybe name a few states that are um, that are doing already something or something well on this topic um, and uh, who could maybe be the ones pushing the commission from the council? Yeah, a clear one is France. Mm -hmm. um, France last year issued a, a law that is still unprecedented. So it's a world um, precedent. It is, uh, requ this law requires investors to disclose information on, how, on their um, climate risks and on how they contribute to reaching the um, climate policy targets, so mm -hmm. how they contribute to two-degree alignment. Um, and that's, um, that's very interesting because this is clearly uh, something we would like to also uh, uh, mainstream at European level so that investors are all required to publish information on their climate risks and climate alignment of their portfolio. So we, we are clearly trying to build on this. Um, now something really interesting is that it's not necessarily member states that are pushing for this. 
another category of organizations have raised the, the, the alarm on climate risks, which are um, the, central, um, the central banks. The Bank of England were the first one to start with uh, Mark Carney doing now famous speeches on this, with the Financial Stability Board. The central bank in the Netherlands, in France, in Finland, in Sweden have followed suit, uh, publishing reports or concerns on um, um, climate-related fin- climate financial risks. So this is really interesting to see that on that issue, the policymakers, governments, the commission are lagging behind the financial, uh, I mean, the mm. central banks and the financial regulators. Yes, yeah, that's is, interesting. This is really interesting. And our analysis is that the, the, the governments, the policymakers, the commission are afraid um, to that um, or opposed to new regulation because they see it could be a burden, it could be red tape against uh, growth and jobs, while at the same time the central banks are publishing a report and the European um, Risk Board in Europe, um, Systemic Risk Board in Europe, are publishing reports showing the enormous potential impacts for financial portfolios of climate change if if business as usual goes on in the economy. So they are, uh, they are increasingly aware of the enormous risks and opportunities while the governments are uh, and the Commission uh, are until now were li- largely lagging behind, but it seems it's now accelerating. Fortunately, mm-hmm. yeah, that's an interesting one. The European Systemic Risk Board, uh, Risk Board report um, that was quite influential, and there was also one um, policy implication that they suggested, which is um, having stress tests for mm-hmm. banks, CO two stress tests, so a little bit like like we have already now for financial stability to do it also for climate risk and climate risk stability. Is that something you would be in favor of also? Um, we don't really work on the banking issues, but on the investment issues, uh, there's already, uh, there are already some early discussions on this. Um, it's, it, it's sometimes called as climate stress tests, um, sometimes called as well as scenario analysis. And what we definitely um, ask for is to have... Uh, a mandatory uh, obligations for investors to do a scenario analysis uh, with, uh, a, with, for example, a two-degree scenario. That would likely include different climate scenarios, but one, in our view, should be a commonly defined um, two-degree or even normally 1.5-degree scenario, um, consistent with the Paris Agreement, of course. Yes. And um, this is something that is still um, uneasy to do, but there are innovative methodologies being developed right now for this. Uh, we are contributing to one of them that is called Sustainable Energy Investment Metrics. Um, there could be others. But the idea with these new methodologies is to show that it is concretely feasible now to assess the climate alignment of an investment portfolio, or at least some part of the portfolio. Yeah. It's not fully complete. I understand the development. And increasingly, uh, there are also methodologies to assess the climate risks in, um, in, um, cl- in investment portfolio compared to the two-degree uh, two scenario. And that's really interesting. So mm-hmm. on that basis, we think that decision makers, policy makers, should move now very quickly to require this to investors. 
Um, and uh, when you do sort of lobbying um, on the European level um, for this, for the uh, topics that you just lined out, um, who are your main allies on this? Um, who are you working together with uh, to influence the European Commission? It depends a bit on the issues. We are working, of course, a lot with um, environmental NGOs, development NGOs, mm. with one important mention, which is that we don't work only on green finance. That is largely, um, not only largely related to climate issues and the Paris Agreement, we also work on sustainable finance, yeah. which is, uh, in our view, um, pushing for um, the alignment of in investment portfolios with the sustainable development goals, not only climate issues. It's, it, the, the real issue is much broader than climate only. Yeah. Um, so we work also with development NGOs, we work with different think tanks, like um, ESG, Tudico Investing Initiative, Carbon Tracker, um, asset owners disclosure project. We work with um, finance uh, uh, specialists like Share Action, mm -hmm. and uh, in some cases we try to work with investors and investors coalition, um, and more more specific cases. Sometimes the proactive investors and investors coalition agree with us to a certain degree. They are usually, um, I mean, not necessarily as pushy as we are. And we are not necessarily the most radical organization in the place as well. So there are different degrees of what you require and how quickly you, you require it to, um, to, the, um, to the decision makers. Okay. All right. Um, thank you very much. Maybe one last question for if our listeners now ask themselves, okay, what can they do? Um, they, they heard a little bit now on how important green finance is and what are the obstacles. Would you give um, any recommendation for private people um, what to do with their finances? Private investors or um, pensioners or who exactly? Private, uh, no, private individuals. Individuals. I think individuals should um, go to their, um, their pension fund or their insurance company um, and um, ask them for more information on how their own money is invested. Because yeah. usually they have no clue and usually in most cases the investors, the, the, the pension funds don't even tell them where their own money is invested, while at the same time, different uh, opinion polls show that at least 80% of individuals in Europe want their money to be invested in a sustainable way. And what we see is that probably at least 80% of the money is not invested in a sustainable way. So there is a huge gap between what the pensioners want and what the pension funds are doing. So increasing transparency and increasing the rights of the, the pensioners um, to be aware of what the pension funds are doing is is something critically important, so that they be more they can be more involved and they can ask um, their own pension fund to show uh, their policies and to show the results. I mentioned pension funds, but it's the same with other investors. So it's just an example, yeah. and that's quite important. Um, share action, for example, is. Um, um, trying to get individual pensioners much more involved to ask their pension fund, tell us where you put our money. Do you really put it in fossil fuels or in weapons? While, or while this is something we um, are opposed to, is it really still possible today? And it is actually, it, it massively happens. Yeah. Good point. Thank you very much. Uh, this was uh, our podcast of today with Sebastian Godineau, uh, the economist of the WWF European Policy Office. We talked a little bit about um, 
green finance, meaning the other side of divestment. If you take out your money of fossil fuels, where do you invest it in and how can you invest um, money greenly and sustainably? Thank you very much for listening and uh, hear you the next time. Bye.